You're going to remember this every day for the rest of your life. If you want to get to a goal, if you want to get to your dream, you got to focus on all the little steps. You have to put in your time. You have to be patient and you have to enjoy the process. Whatever you're doing now, whatever you want to be great at, whatever you want to be special at, I'm sure you you maybe already be good at it, but to be extraordinary, you have to do extra. I firmly believe that we are all here for a very specific reason to do something truly extraordinary. But what are you going to do to get there? Welcome to the Magna Method Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by No Foods, K-N-O-W foods.com. No Foods' prime directive is to create nutritionally superior, great-tasting alternatives to traditional grain and gluten-based foods like bread, waffles, cookies, pasta, cupcakes, and dozens more. No Foods products are natural, non-GMO, clean and delicious, made with superfoods like almonds, coconut, egg whites, chia, and flaxseed. They're free of grain, free of wheat, free of gluten, free of dairy soy, peanut, yeast, starch, and preservatives. They're high in protein and fiber. They're low in carbs, net carbs, low in sodium, low in calories, and low in sugar. Near zero glycemic index. And I'd also like to provide you with a discount code. That's MEGNA10, capital M, capital E, capital G, capital N, capital A, the number 1010. Type in that code and you'll receive 10% off on all purchases. I'd also at this time like to offer everyone the opportunity to get a VIP package of No Foods products with a value of $300. What I'd like you to do is tag me on Instagram and I want you to hold a sign saying, Mark, I want the VIP package of No Food products. Send it to me. Tag me. I check it out. I'll send it your way. Now let's get into the episode. Welcome to the Magna Method Podcast, and I am very fortunate to sit down today with Mr. George Carvajal. Uh, Coach Carvajal is a performance coach and consultant who has worked with elite athletes in multiple sports in the tactical world for over 25 years. He has trained thousands of athletes at the University of Florida, the University of Nebraska, the U.S. Olympic Training Center, along with numerous professional athletes from the NFL, Major League Baseball, NBA, NHL, World Surf League, Big Wave Surf Tours, and tactical athletes in the fire service, law enforcement, SWAT, and SRT military communities. Uh, Coach Carvajal, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me. And, Pleasure uh, to be here. This is, uh, I'll tell you right now, a patient man because I've been having a difficult time with my equipment over here. So thank you so much for your patience. And that's a, a test of the kind of coach he is. Um, we met no, back. No worries. You're the man. We met back uh, at BPS. And then, uh, once again, we reconnected at the MAT Muscle Activation Course. And um, we talked a bit about our time at BPS and what a special uh, place that is under Pete. And um, I was just getting uh, Coach Carvajal's thoughts on that. What was your thoughts on your experiences there? Uh, just so many, so many things that that you kind of think you know and uh, some of it is validated and some of it is kind of turned upside down and you realize that you were making a lot of little errors uh, but a tremendous learning opportunity one of the best things i learned about sports performance and specifically how pete does and bps does it is putting a, a really really big emphasis on the medical component right mm-hmm. you were there so you know that that's oh, yeah. kind of put the guys back together again after you kind of break them down over and over and you keep them away from that uh, under recovery, over training uh, piece that's so so vital to coach and to keep an eye on. Because if you're not having positive adaptation, 
you're kind of really burying the athlete every time you you load them so something i learned there that was super special and uh it's helped me tremendously not just in coaching but personally right and you know it's interesting we we, you get an athlete it could be a middle school high school or you know collegiate professional athlete we get so excited because they have all this ability and they have all this talent and we just want to kind of get going and work work hard and do all the things we're supposed to be doing but you don't realize that even if you're an athlete if you're a high level athlete you absolutely need moments of to tailor it back uh download weeks recovery sessions and like it's at times it's just more important than the actual training i mean the training is great but if a guy walks in at 6'2 235 he can run like a deer and he's strong I might need to make sure I don't screw them up, right? And I don't like yeah, training not, on the defensive, but that's kind of way the way I look at it sometimes. What are your thoughts? Hundred percent. And I, you know, we we can call each other and ourselves and those that listen to the podcast, you know, coaches, performance coaches, uh, performance enhancement specialists, trainers. You can call yourself whatever it is that you want to call yourself. At the end of the day, we're all load managers we prescribe load and we help the athlete or the individual the client recover from that load and it's a continuous cycle of prescribing load and helping them recover from load Um, it's no longer acceptable just to prescribe load and give someone an instruction to stretch at home with a foam roll because you're you really important the responsibility of recovery on them and as you know mark that doesn't work very well Um, Mm -hmm. and so as a load manager, it is absolutely your responsibility to make sure that you help the athlete recover from load. Mm-hmm. And uh, just one facet of the population that seems everybody seems to think, well, when you when you work with an NFL guy, you have all these fancy programs and all this all these things kind of written down. At, at the end of the day, when you start working with an NFL guy, you're really recovering them from you know 16 weeks of just having a, a an auto accident collision type load every Sunday mm-hmm. it's not really let's build this guy up it's really taking some time to help them recover uh, through the first part of the the offseason and the collective bargaining agreement for the NFL now has changed the amount of time that you have in the offseason so it's a very small window to be able to get someone recovered and then positively load them so that they're ready to go for the season it's it's a it's a very fine line that we walk mm-hmm. and you know it, it's so interesting you're trying to protect that athlete you want them to recover and you know it's your job to make sure all you're doing is, is as you said you're managing load you're managing stress levels to make sure that you can put them in a position to be successful for the next training session and you i don't think people understand what it's like to well, look, I know they don't understand what it's like to play on Sunday, and that's cool. Uh, but my, the intention of, of this statement is to get people to understand whatever you do, if you play in a pickup league for softball, if you do an event where you're, you've tapered yourself to do the best 5K of your life, these guys give max effort every Sunday. And it's not, I mean... Look at the amount of games in a season. It's also training camp. You're not you're not half assing right. in training camp. You're giving it all because you got to make right. the team. You got to get your spot. So, if you're giving 
in essence, 18, 20 weeks of max effort in a row, that's not normal. That is harmful to the body. We all know it. Forget about the collisions. Now the collisions are brought in, giving max effort and getting hit while you're giving max effort and giving a hit. It opens up a huge can of circumstances and uh, other variables that most people don't even process. Right. You're certainly doing damage, right? There's there's damage being done um, repetitively. And, yeah, you have trainers and you have doctors and you have that medical component um, available. But at the end of the day, it's just a human body. It's not a machine. And it, even with all those Band-Aids, it's still going to break down. And, and so you have to be mindful of all of those things when you start applying load. And it's uh, – I take a very, very long time to look at who it is, how long they've played, are they a starter, are they in a skill position, uh, all those things before you even sit down and try and figure out, okay, where are we, and before we start, and I, I, I've sort of kind of dealt myself into this somewhat of a, I wouldn't say the box, but more of, of a way to describe what I do, which is now more sort of kind of rest-based training rather than just performance enhancement, which is we start kind of really just recovering people and then pre- prescribing and applying load. And that really came really kind of accidental. And I'll give you the quick kind of background on how that happened is um, I was working with the guys in the special operations community and had been working with these kind of these two or three particular guys for almost eight years and it, it was fairly simple the program and the program design how we changed variables and manipulated you know rest tempo and exercise and all that stuff uh, when they deployed and when they returned from deployment uh, but what happened is is one time they came back from deployment and we had this program ready to go and they just couldn't recover from it, even though it was a very simple program, uh, very introductory GPP, general prepar- physical preparation program. Uh, they, they just couldn't recover from it. And no matter what I did, how I changed the variables, their HRV scores, Harvey variability, which is I use to kind of measure uh, how the sympathetic system is, is working. Is it turned on? Is it flipped on? Is it flipped off? Uh, was very low. They were not sleeping very well, which is, you know, sleep is your number one recovery tool. And that made me think that maybe we needed to dial it back. Again, going back to the very beginning of this conversation, dial it back to, you know, w- what are we doing here? Yes, maybe we don't need to start a performance po- program. Maybe what we need is a rest and recovery program that introduces us and gets the individual rest and recovered to start then applying load and that's that was an eye-opening thing for me i i remember coming back from a training session frustrated because nothing seemed to work and i have a dry erase board in my home office and i was pretty filled up with that particular program and i took my hand and i just wiped the dry erase board clean i just literally just wiped everything off and started got a blue marker and started from scratch Mm -hmm. and i titled it rest based and that's how we started it was just applying minimal load uh with making sure that sleep 
and recovery were taken care of first and then put into the program first. And then and only then as the days went by, what we did is we took 21 days completely off from training. All we did is we actually went to the beach and would walk a couple times a week. The rest of the instructions was good hydration, good nutrition, and sleep between seven and nine hours. Once we started getting that right, then and only then did we apply load and then the body started to respond. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, it's not magic, it's not uh, you know, rocket science, but sometimes we get boxed in as coaches in doing it a certain way, I know I did, and it came back and kind of bit me, realizing, you know what, I have to adapt, I have to be fluid, and I have to change based on the athlete's needs, not mine. And it's it's so easy to get caught into those, hey, this is what everyone does. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. I have a limited amount of time. And we talked about Pete in a PPS. And the reason that Pete um, conducts his business the way he does is because there's a lot of pressure on that guy. And he's got a lot of stuff going on. And he sure. needs to make sure he gets the job done because if he doesn't get the job done, guess who they're going to hold accountable? So, right. you know, it's easy to fall into those things, but you have to be mindful of the person you're working with and what they need. What I need and what the next person needs are going to be totally different. Some NFL guys, we we is the Omega Wave, correct? Correct. We, we, we see what the stress response is and where they are, and I've seen the studies and I've seen the, um, the different test cases. One guy plays an NFL game. He's completely recovered the next day. Another guy does one violent, aggressive shot put throw. It takes him two weeks to recover. So, right. you know, everyone's so very different. So to say one size fits all and to be aloof to what is going on with, in regards to recovery for the body and not take those precautions, you're really doing a disservice. Um, how, how do you handle things now with your clients. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing now so we can ducktail into your programming and how you handle things. So I, I work primarily with, with three types of athletes and I've worked with pretty much every uh, sport you can think of. I had a friend reach out to me on Twitter and asked me, he was looking at the Olympics and asking if I knew anything about biathlons because he was fascinated by it and I said yes. Yes, as a matter of fact, I do. I have, I have worked with biathletes. So I've worked with this whole range of athletes within the parentheses. But what I primarily um, stick to now is, is NFL guys and primarily skill positions, uh, big wave surfers, and then the tactical community, specifically special operations. Uh, that Those are the three types of – and they're all right, heavy testosterone, type A uh, – individuals which is interesting yet they all require uh, different things at different times uh, recovery is pretty much the same across the board but the body is not the same so you have to keep changing the variables over and over because uh, either you're adapting or you're not so you have to change something right and what have you seen I mean you're dealing with high-level people you're dealing with uh, type A people how does if any by the way uh, George what differences do you see in the, uh, I would say, either behavior of a NFL athlete and then a tactical athlete? Are there are there major differences aside from like being driven, motivated, and like, you know, uh, yeah, and ambitious? all those all those things, highly ambitious, driven, motivated, makes it uh, across the board 
very, very, very difficult for them to take that day, right? Mm-hmm. In other words, rest and recovery can't just be their responsibility because they're not going to rest and recover. You know that working with those type of guys. Oh, yeah. They're very motivated. Uh, they want to succeed. They're, you know, that 1% of the population that's going to be above everybody else because of the way they they think, the way they respond. So it's it's always a battle. Uh, going back to the example I gave you with the special operations guys, it was a battle to get them to rest. It was uh, almost insurmountable to tell them, hey, we're going to take three weeks off. That's all we're going to do is we're just going to walk. We're going to let the mind, the body, and the soul heal. Then we'll start... You know, that was a battle, and it's a battle because these are guys that have spent their entire life uh, with the pedal to the metal, uh, with no 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 brakes. And so now telling them, hey, you, you have to, we have to apply the brakes in order for you to continue to move forward in a positive direction is super, super difficult. It's the same with NFL guys and the guys that, you know, surf 40 but waves are the very same as those other guys. It's, they just don't want to take time off. Uh, time off to them means somebody else is doing something somewhere and it's going to probably have just a little bit an advantage over me. And that's that becomes to them uh, something that they mentally seem to have a re- really hard time with. So my job, your job, our job as coaches is to try and convince them that that is the the right thing to do uh it's the it's the best thing to do and and how i do that is um you know there's a concept of buy-in right and mm-hmm. uh, before you could buy in into your program i think you you have to establish trust mm-hmm. and i establish trust by dealing with the individual or the person first and the athlete second and that just involves you know, respect and tolerance and boundaries uh, as a coach and as an athlete. But I'm very big on if I tell you I'm going to call you at 12.01, the phone's going to be ringing at 12.01. Mm-hmm. And if I tell you we're going to meet at 7 p.m. and I'll pick you up or we're going to uh, be at the track at 6.30 in the morning, you know, I will pick you up at 7 or we'll be at the track at 6.30. Or, so, or you're dead. Absolutely, 100%. And you know that to be true. Right. And that's true with, with big way surfers and the NFL guys in the tactical community, right? The special operations community, it's it's everything, right? Your trust is everything. The moment, it's a very, very tight-knit group of individuals that have each other's lives, not just having your back, but your lives in each other's hands. So when you violate that circle of trust, you're done, not just with that group, you're pretty much done in that community. Mm-hmm. Now. Uh, the opposite of that is that when you uh, develop that trust, that's the foundation for, listen, I, I know that you don't like this, and I know that this is not the direction you want to go in, but all I need you to do is trust. Trust is basically your 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 little rocks, I call them, right? That's where you develop. Uh, first, it's the little things. It's doing what you say you're going to do, being where you say you're going to be, uh, being a person of integrity. Uh, being someone that can be dependable, all those things start to develop trust, uh, and not just between uh, coach and athlete, but between human beings, right? Between you and I. Um, and then the big rocks is the buy-in. That's where 
if the athlete trusts you, they're going to buy into whatever it is, whatever direction you want to go. But you have to develop that trust first. You can't get a buy-in into any program if the athlete doesn't trust you. They may do it, but at the end of the day, if it goes south after the second or third session, you're done because there is there is no trust. And you've lost that individual and the ability then to become fluid in the programming that you're trying to do. So for me, it, trust is I, I developed a relationship with the person first and the athlete second. And then we we move in between, you know, the parentheses and the fluidity of, of programming, depending on what we need to do. And it's a lot easier. It's, it's a battle with these guys because they, for the many reasons you mentioned, they're just, you know, they're type A personalities. They don't want to stop training. Training is what got them to where they're at. So taking, having them take a, you know, a little time off is, is, is super, super hard, but that's what your job as a coach is. Right. And, and I think that if you're going to be a part of this community, when I say community, I mean the training, um, this, the health, fitness, wellness, strength and conditioning, nutrition, whatever it may be, you have to understand that there is a certain skill set. And is it a skill set? But more than a skill set, I think that's doing it an injustice. It's more of a human side that you have to have. Like some people aren't always going to be on time. Some people aren't always going to have their crap together. And to understand how to communicate with that person, uh, uh, rein them in and just have them understand what you're trying to do, how you're trying to do it. And it's only truly going to work until until we develop that trust, once we develop that trust, and to get them to buy in. Because those are the pieces of the buy-in, and most people don't get that. If you're just trying to get a client, or if you're just trying to uh, do your system, uh, work your system on someone, with system I mean your training program, that means nothing. That's just the way I feel, George. Um, no, you're, you're 100%, 100%. And it's, you know, you have the 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 science of coaching, right? Which is your X's and Yo's and your programs and uh, your load managing, uh, load prescribing, et cetera. And then you have the art of coaching, which is really the behavioral side. And it's something that's not taught, right? You're taught in school. Uh, you know, I went through an exercise science uh, bachelor's and, and master's program. I don't recall ever, 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 ever being taught anything with behavioral on how to talk to people, how to get people to buy in just basically the science part of here's what it looks like. Here's the glycolytic. Uh, here's uh, the, the aerobic. Here's your anaerobic. Here's your energy systems. You know, here's lactic acid. There was nothing about, you know, type a athlete doesn't want to train today. What do you do? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. That's, and that's a huge part of the business. As you know, you, huge. you have people that are, very compliant and you tell them to be there at 6 30 and they're there at 6 30 and some people are you know at 7 15 and you're wondering where john is and you're texting john because john hasn't shown up and then john sean john saunters in at you know 7 20 like nothing happened and you have to deal with that and you can't just fire john you technically you can but you know you you need to eat and you need to pay the mortgage and those things are not taught to coaches it's not they're not taught mm-hmm. to trainers and sometimes it's on the job training Mm-hmm. And it mm-hmm. takes a very long time to figure out that you're training people first yes. before you, you train anything. And 
you're training people and you have to have the concept of people skills. And I think the most important concept is communication. And look at look at all these people that are um, in different sports, different aspects of, of life that are that really, really, really good at what they do. And, you know, they're good communicators, right? They figured out that if I don't have what I have, what I need, I need to get it. Then I need to be able to find someone. And how do I talk to that person? And that's coaching. That's mm-hmm. coaching. You have guys that are really good at the X's and the O's. And you have guys that are really good at the behavioral component. It's really rare to find someone that has everything kind of put together. You know when you see it, especially in you uh, now as, as, as a business owner and someone who, who you know hires other coaches, you can see people coming in the door that just they just got it. There's something special. It's that it factor. But you're also going to come across 100 people that you're like, this guy's just like he's got all the right resume, but he can't really even talk. He can't have a conversation. Mm-hmm. And so that's the part of coaching that I think, um, you know, Brett Bartholomew with his conscious coaching book has great book, great has, book. has made right. It's made a huge difference to a lot of people because it's bringing that behavioral component of here's the archetype type athlete. Here's this kind of guy. and How do you deal with him and how do you coach him and how you cue him? They're all different. That's we've really never had that. We have those books and that concept of. Uh, the mechanics of coaching, but nothing on uh, the people skills. You, you're dealing with an individual and a person first before they're not an athlete. They're a person. And then you can start addressing them as an athlete. If you do it the other way around, you have a client that pays you money and that's it. And at some point that relationship sours and it ends. And sometimes neither one of them care. You get a new client and they find a new trainer. And that's kind of the way the industry is, right? Mm-hmm. You know, um, as you said, you said it very well, George. You know, being you're, you're training you're training people, and they're human beings. And something I actually learned a long time ago, and um, I just want to make note of it. When I finished playing professional football, this is going to be pretty comedic, and you feel free to laugh. I thought I was going to be an actor because I love movies. <laughs> so, I actually went to an, to uh, work under a, a very well known acting coach in Montreal who uh, was wonderful and you know we would do these short scenes and you'll understand this in a minute just bear with me you know mm-hmm. the your your counterpart would read their lines and you would read their lines uh, your lines and of course you're trying to pepper those lines with feelings and emotion and make those your own based on your behavior and when I first started this thing, I was up there with a young lady and she started crying. And mm. I looked to the co- my my acting teacher and I said, what do I do? And she looked at me and said, are you serious? I said, yeah, I mean, I, didn't, I wasn't prepared for that. I don't really know what to do. And she's like, what would you do if you weren't up there on stage? You know, and I walked over there and I gave her a hug and it was a complete stranger. Now... You know, sometimes I felt like that was just appropriate for that moment. Like being a human being and hearing what people are telling you, not because of the words that are coming out of their mouth, but because uh, of why they're telling you those things. That's so important and goes over so many people's heads every single day. If you can understand why they're telling you what they're telling you and look ahead, 
that's a huge thing that most people don't get and um I miss it myself. I'm far from perfect. I miss it myself on uh daily. But I'm I'm working to get better and I think people miss that component. You must be a human being and treat people like they're human beings. Yeah, and it's 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 we get triggered, right? We just we we, we live in Miami, so you, you get triggered ten times more than anybody else anywhere. But it's 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 a struggle and it's something that you you deal with daily and, and sometimes you do well and sometimes you don't but as time goes on and you you develop your your philosophy and your coaching personality and we all have it you you start to understand that concept that um i don't want clients uh, i want i want to develop relationships with people mm. i don't want just someone that pays me money and i give them a service um when I bring someone on or when I come on board, um, it's a relationship to me. That is the most important part of it all. And if I really feel like I cannot have a relationship, I don't coach the athlete. Uh, I do us both uh, a favor. And I just realize, you know, we're not right for each other. And, and you know, that that's sometimes that happens. I'm in a very, very, uh, I'm very grateful to be in that position where I can actually do that. I can, I can choose who I want to train. I don't have to take everybody because, you know, I have to pay the mortgage. If I don't take one person, I have 12 guys and I need 13 and that 13 could be anybody. Um, I'm not in that position. I'm very grateful to be in that position, but I would still coach counsel and mentor someone to think about the relationship first and what you're building with that individual and you're building that every single time that you have a connection, whether you text call or you're in person. And then, then that really helps transcend what the, what the relationship between coach and athlete is. And, and it's really the relationship between two human beings. That's what it comes yeah. down to. And that's where uh, I've changed the way I coach to make it more of a relationship thing that these guys understand that I do have their absolute best interest at heart that everything that we do uh, they may not understand and most of the athletes that we coach you and i you, you know even just your regular you know personal training client they're pretty smart right they know what they want oh yeah uh, they know when they're not getting it and especially with with guys who are, are nfl guys and uh, special operations community, they know exactly what they want they know training they know terminology they know what their body needs and so you have to kind of speak the same language and that's you know that's all part of that relationship building which i I, I, I absolutely love um, as as you evolve as a coach it's not just about the X's and the O's and who can put up a better program design and and make someone hurt or sweat it's really about the relationship and building that that athlete but really building that individual also hopefully become just a better just a better human being by being associated with you and, and vice versa I'd rather not work with someone if I can't have them as a friend that's just I mean really that's a great that's a great way to see it it's it's really it's really i look at it like this uh george my life is too short and um if I, if I can't help them or be a part of their path in a positive way well then it's it's really not important and i as you said if they don't trust me if they don't believe in me if they don't uh value me uh based on their behavior it's just not worth it i mean no it's a battle i can i can tell you and you know when i say that uh, that that's exactly what it is. It it becomes a battle, and then it becomes uh, not fun. And that's you know you, you start throwing the word then uh, burnout, and those are all situations that lead 
uh, to burnout. You're you're doing something in a certain place with a certain individual that you just don't want to, and you're doing it because of the wrong reasons: money, uh, you know, prestige, power, whatever it is. It just doesn't lead as many roads, but it just leads to nowhere. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. Um, so you're also. And are you still active uh, as an active athlete? As when I knew you, you were doing lots of surfing and you enjoyed yeah, that I, very much. Yeah, you know, that's right now. I, I the things that I do is I I do jujitsu, I bow hunt, and I surf. Um, the jujitsu is taking a, a back seat because of uh, a meniscus injury that I've had that I've never really taken care of. So I'm back to you know my primary sport is right now just I surf. Understood. And we've talked before, but you know, you had uh, basically an injury while you were surfing, correct? Correct. Yeah. What happened is I I went to a local break and uh, was surfing and uh, got dumped by a wave. And somebody who was, uh, you know, a newbie uh, in surfing, we call him Kooks, did not have a leash on his ankle, and he kicked off his board when he fell off, and the board caught me the, the end of the board caught me right in my temporal area and kind of uh ended up having a a, a tbi from it and uh, a long long road back which put me in the position of of understanding why i'm such a uh component uh, proponent of recovery because i realized that i was not recovering it was very difficult because you need a good brain to be able to recover and read the research and, and make decisions and have cognitive abilities, which I did not have. And it was a long road, but it helped me understand the recovery aspect uh, of it. And uh, I became somewhat a recovery expert and known, I guess, in the industry for it. But it comes from a personal story, not a need to want to be an expert or a guru or anything like that. Uh, I just was not recovered. And as we had, we had mentioned before, I realized that no one was going to be able to heal me. I was going to have to take the lead and the reins on that. And that's basically what happened. And, um, you know, TBI, he mentioned it several times, but for those who you don't know is a traumatic brain injury. And uh, some of the side effects, uh, that you can encounter is, you know, um, you know, impaired cognitive function, problems with your legs, arms, function, nerve, um, emotional problems, thinking ability, uh, your, your reaction time, whatever it may be. Um, did you incur any of those? I had all of the above and I had something which, um, it took me a very long time to, to understand what it was. Uh, most of the doctors had no clue what it was. They just sort of kind of treated one thing or another one. But the gut-brain connection, right? Mm -hmm. I was having uh, about, I'd say, 50 or 60, maybe even up to 70% of my symptoms were all gut-related. Indigestion, bloating, um, unable to eat, nausea. Uh, It was just on and on and on and on and on. And it was basically uh, an understanding after a while that if the brain was broken, then so was the gut. And... It was an area where I could not get help because there really was, the research really was in the infancy stage. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, concussions, we're talking 12, almost 15 years ago, uh, not really talked about. It wasn't in the forefront. It certainly was happening, 
but these were isolated individuals with you know traumatic brain injuries and you know they're hospitalized and then they recover and go home well i found out as a patient that that's not exactly the way it is is um you know you don't look dead and you don't look broken right but you're certainly broken uh, in many ways and you're functioning in society at a very very low level uh, basically getting up getting dressed eating going to the bathroom going to sleep and that's as much as you can handle uh, i remember trying to read and being unable to read more than a paragraph or two because my brain felt like i was going to explode mm-hmm. and the, you know those are all the cognitive symptoms you know the headaches the migraines cluster headaches that came as a result of uh, basically the brain being broken and little by little as the brain started to heal, then those symptoms, including symptoms symptoms from the gut, started to heal. And then, you know, later, later, many years later, you start to realize that there is this brain-gut connection. And now I've it's it's an area that I've investigated and immersed myself in because I realize I have such a an interest in it as, or from the standpoint of longevity, and I know you do too is understanding what that what that whole mind gut connection is and uh, how that deals with mood and choices and overall health and uh, you know it's sort of like this uh, hidden uh, conversation that's really not happening uh, and unless you have a very well to do and up and coming into the research uh, neurologist you, you you get you really get left out in the dark you, you get taken care of the, the immediate needs and the rest is up to you to kind of recover and, and deal with society and life. And it's a very long haul. It's a long, it's a long road back. And I don't even think they mention it when you deal with, uh, you know, like a neurologist, do, do they? No, no. Not at all. They, they take care of just the basics of what the brain is and what it's, what's happening and you know how to sort of kind of fix it. But the, the truth of the matter is that they really don't know how to fix it. There isn't a pill you can take. There's not a machine that you can go under. Um, it's the brain basically coming back, and your brain is different than mine, and our experiences are different. And the healing and the healing pattern, the healing time is different. Uh, it's frustrating. It's super frustrating. You you feel like you want to give up every step of the way because there's just no help. And then you turn a corner, and one day that paragraph ends up being a couple of pages mm-hmm. and before you know it you're reading half a book and that's when you start realizing okay we're we're moving forward here i'm you know, i'm not fully back into society yet but there's there's an aspect of of me that's that's certainly gotten better and and i'm sympathetic and i can empathize now with those guys coming back from you know, the military who have the ptsd issues and have the head injuries and the concussions and I can see the cognitive differences of when they went on deployment and when they came back. And those are the things that become now part of that rest-based program rather than a performance program. You can't put those guys in a performance enhancement program because there is no performance enhancement for those guys. It's recovery it, first. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right? Re- recovery from the brain first. And then and only then can you load the rest of the body. The, the brain doesn't care about anything else. And as the good... Dr. John Sullivan says the brain always wins. I got the majority of my, um, well, uh, the majority, pretty much all of my knowledge with, you know, the TBI, uh, the brain trauma, and gut health through uh, Katie, Katie Mark. 
Uh, right. Katie right. Mark is a nutritionist who's um, just very intelligent, very smart. Uh, she's very gifted, and uh, she was kind enough to help me with with those things and make a few suggestions. Um, you can find Katie Mark at On Your Mark Nutrition on Instagram, and um, she is uh, a great resource for anyone who's looking for a you know world class nutritionist um, and someone to work with. That being said, have you implemented those things and those suggestions with the uh, uh, the probiotics and, and things of that nature to improve gut health? I have, and I you know we uh, I call I call her my my best new follow for 2017 and my best new friend for 2017 because she's amazing. She has a tremendous amount of, of knowledge information, but she's just a good person, right? At the end of the day, that's what we were talking about is I, I just connect with good people and, and hopefully they, they see that, uh, he, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a real person. I'm just a guy who coaches and uh, integrity is everything to me. And so I like recognizes like, and so I recognize those things in her. And, um, you know, I, I was taking probiotics and fish oils and things for the brain long before even people knew what that, those things were for, for the brain. Really purely, and as I had, had a conversation with Katie about it, really kind of just experimental, Mark, right? I didn't know. There was no research on any of that stuff. It's just let's try this stuff because, you know, let's try this stuff and see if it works. And the probiotics and the aloe vera for my stomach really kind of soothe the lining of my stomach. I realized I probably had leaky gut. I went to try and fix that. And little by little, uh, just experimenting um, with myself. I, I, I have a picture somewhere. I lined up all of the bottles of all of the supplements that I had taken during that time to try and figure things out. And I think it was 156 bottles wow. of different supplements. Wow. Which is a lot. You know, it, it essentially through the kitchen sink uh, at it, trying to figure out what's what nutrients uh that the brain need my my brain in my specific situation needed and i found that there was a few that seemed to to help and it was certainly uh the fish oil it was certainly the probiotics um i think i had used initially turmeric i think it was right with uh black pepper right with the black pepper right i did not get um, gain that knowledge on my own either no, the curcumin, which is what Katie had recommended, and I had switched to a, a different brand, and then you know again started to just feel well. Uh, it, it really was just a very very experimental time in my life, and frustrating because you cannot get uh, a good answer. You certainly couldn't go to a registered dietitian, uh, nutrition wise. Couldn't go to someone who did sports nutrition because they didn't know. Uh, the neurologist would give you the just the very basics of nutrition so you're you're left up to your own devices and that's really when i it's really when i realized that if i was going to heal i was going to have to do the legwork i was going to have to do the research and the reading and the experimentation on myself before uh i healed and and those things were the things that just started to move me in, in a positive direction first understanding the gut brain connection and then starting to try different nutrients based on the research that I felt would um, would help. Some of those that I tried were not research-based. Those were uh, anecdotal-based, uh, things that some people had told me, hey, you know, I felt better after taking this. My headache stopped after I used this particular nutrient. So I tried all those things. I ended up back to where the research was, and that's uh, those primarily 
those three supplements. And I've thrown a couple of different things in uh, as time has gone on. But one of the things that really started to heal uh, the brain wasn't just the supplements, was the ability to to turn the brain off and to turn from a sympathetic state that I was in all the time through the anxiety and, and just being triggered, trying to figure things out to a more parasympathetic rest and digest system. And that was using meditation, just uh, I love that. shutting off the brain for certain periods of time. And did you uh, work with meditation? Did you do anything? We did the uh, RPR course this weekend with JL Holdsworth, which was amazing. Yeah. Did, so tell me what, what's, What's funny was that when I graduated from high school, you know, while kids were getting cars and trips to Disney World and all these different things, um, I got a transcendental meditation course from my mother. And, and she said, you're not going to understand this for the next 20 or 25 years. And I was like, well, what's good is, is it then if it's going to take you know, it's a gift that takes 25 years to basically come to fruition. And she says, you'll understand. And, and she was right on the money. Um, I kind of fought it. I went through the course and I fought it and I didn't really realize it. You know, you're out of high school. Meditation is not what you want to do. You just want to play. Right. And little by little, as I started to understand that maybe this is what I needed and I started to just kind of just sit, uh, magic started to happen. I, my, my recovery, my healing started to happen at a faster rate. Um, again, that's anecdotally speaking. I don't know if there's any research that says that. I think there's a tremendous amount of research now on on what meditation does for the brain and the healing aspect of it. Uh, for sure, it didn't exist then. So it's just a matter of sitting and trying to shut the brain off, letting it heal, and then using obviously some uh, some nutrients and different things, some aspects of just trying to get to sleep. Because that's when the brain you know, takes out the trash. Uh, little things like that just started moving me in a, in a, in a very positive uh, forward direction. And have you had success with these types of things with with your athletes, with your clients? Are they open? And most athletes are most. Let's just say clients, because I hate saying athletes and everyday yeah. people like your clients in general. Are they open to sure. this? Do they do they get it? Uh, I know it's our job to help them understand why, but. Are they open to it? Do they believe it's a major cog in the wheel or are they just like completely closed off and like, hey, man, let's just drink? It's a that's a really great question. Right. And, and it, it's a really great question because. We assume that that because someone makes 20 million dollars that they have every they're, they're put together in the right way. Right. And that's as, as you and I know, that's not the case. Uh, they make 20 million dollars because. They have, and we're talking about specifically just an NFL athlete. They they have the ability to play the skills to play the game. Um, it's not because they know specifically what to do training wise. Not all the time, even though they're very smart. But it's it it is part of the conversation and and the relationship to try and convince them that some of these things uh, are for the best interest. And let's what I do is hey, let's try it and. But you're going to have to give me a certain period of time and, and then give me feedback and let's make a decision on what it is. And I'm probably about, I'd say about 80, 20 right now where I have 80% of the guys doing it and 20% are having a hard time with it. But the 20% that are having a hard time with it 
it's almost like that's that's a diagnostic for me already, right? Why can't you sit? If you do not have the ability to sit down for 10 or 20 minutes and shut the world off, we got a problem already. Oh, yeah. So we, need to, we need to figure out why that is. Every single person, Mark, that has ever told me I don't have time to meditate is a person with a problem. Uh, time management, uh, the inability to shut the world off. Um, they're very uh, aggressive, right? This is amazing. I, I I want you to really go over this point because I have so many people. That I, and by the way, I'm not throwing stones. I, I was one of those people. So yes, for and, sure. And I still have my moments, but I'm way more in tune now than I was five, ten years ago, two years for ago. For sure, for sure, for sure, for sure. It's a it, it's a conversation that we have, and and, and you know, there, I, I, you don't have to do You know, when you when you bring up the concept of meditation, uh, what it what it invokes in people's brain is a guy. Uh, wrapped in a turban, right, sitting cross-legged right. in this uncomfortable position with a beard, with a white beard, he's really skinny, and he's got dark skin. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking the ability to shut down the mind for 10 to 20 minutes and let the brain sort of just just be, right, let your thoughts just be. And the, the amazing magic that happens from that. I, I would not be a proponent if I didn't myself see some of the benefits and and i'll tell you something happened to me that was it was life altering and life changing and uh, it was one of those times when i was just i was having a very difficult time balancing uh my emotions and the thoughts uh as i was coming back from my recovery uh, I, I couldn't drive everything triggered me you know miami driving triggers just about everybody <laughs> Uh, imagine true. having a, br a brain that you can't really even deal with uh, someone cutting you off or giving you the finger or oh, uh, yeah. all those things you can't I just couldn't deal with it and my mother said you know have you meditated and I hadn't and she said well maybe you should and she didn't push me she just made the suggestion I thought you know what uh, I gotta try this and so I started sitting just for 10 minutes in the morning um, and I wasn't really doing transcendental meditation, which is really 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes in the evening. Um, I, I just searched for a piece of music that was about 10 minutes that I liked and helped me just disconnect. And I put on my earphones and I sat on my couch and I, I did that every single day. And then I did for about two weeks and I added uh, uh, an afternoon period. So 20 minutes a day, 10 minutes here, 10 minutes there. And then I got into traffic. I was driving um, and I remember I went from, I was somewhere in Fort Lauderdale driving back to Miami, uh, you know, quite a, quite a ways, you know, 15 miles, whatever that is. Oh yeah. And I remember that from the moment I got into my car to where I got, when I got to my destination, I hadn't had a thought. And what I mean by that is there isn't any thought that came into my brain. Oh, oh look at that car. The birds are singing. Wow, that's a beautiful tree. I just had no thoughts, none. And when I got to my destination, I realized that I had not had a thought for about 15 miles of driving. I just drove from point A to point B. Wow. And what I remember was feeling very calm and very peaceful. 
And I had people cut me off in traffic. I had people honking because I probably wasn't going 95 miles an hour at 95, which is the typical speed. But none of that bothered me. Uh, none of it triggered me. It's almost like I made a, a subconscious and unconscious decision to go from point A to point B without any human contact whatsoever. And again, I was that was not a conscious choice I made. And during that time, I just sort of kind of disappeared. And it's a very similar feeling that I get when I surf. And you're out there. And one of the reasons I love, because it's, it's mindfulness, um, it really is, is it's, it's meditation in action, it's, which, which is really just mindfulness. You just sit on the board and you catch a wave and you fall and you go back and you do it again over and over. And you realize you haven't really thought about business or clients or the travel that you're supposed to do. Like nothing matters. You're just there. You're in the present moment. And I realized what that did for me. And when I realized what had done for me, I kept doing it. And I kept just having, uh, for lack of a better term, just a better life. I was a better human being. I wasn't angry. Exactly. Uh, just the, the, the really small things, uh, again, just because we, we have to travel, we have to drive in South Florida, and that is such a burden on everybody's oh brain. Oh, goodness. It's, I could get from point A to point B and just have no problem, no anger, no thoughts. There was no road rage. And I thought the only thing that I've done different is meditate. There isn't anything else that I've done. How is it possible that sitting for 10 minutes twice a day with this little piece of music uh, has just altered my behavior and the way my brain works? And then I started to, uh, I got obsessed with looking at the research. What is it? What's going on? And those are the things that I bring up to guys when we're, we, you can't sit for 10 minutes. We need to kind of figure out where you are, where are you in your life? Um, what's going on? Is it stress? Right? Is it financial problems? Uh, is your kid sick? What is it? Because there's something is not allowing you to sit. And the thing is that one thing that you do need above everything else is to be able to sit. Then the puzzles start coming together. Uh, mm -hmm. Things start, you know, magic. And I hate to use that word because it, it gives meditation this this kind of mystical kind of uh color and that's not what i want to do but it, it it really just something magical happens you know something happens in the brain that allows you to calm down and cognitively start making better decisions because you're not overloaded you start just living a better life you're not angry your health improves uh, these are all things that i i did not expect i did not want to you know delve into that it was just uh, you know i got this present for high school graduation uh, my mother was had been a meditator all her life, and now when I look back, I realize that that calm kind of um, attitude that she had on the outside was really being run by this brain that was very calm and very passive and very peaceful. Uh, but she could be a samurai when she needed to. Right. You know, it was just she, she chose not to be a samurai, and that was something I found out is I, I, I have a choice. I don't have to be this way before I didn't realize that I didn't have a choice because I got triggered and, you know, triggering is uh, you, you get a response from the, the, the trigger. You, it's a reactive situation. Mm -hmm. And now I, now I 
now I respond and I respond only after I've thought it out and decided whether it's right for me or not. And 99.9% of the time, um, I don't react anymore. I just respond and I walk away. Mm-hmm. Simple. Mm-hmm. So listen, this has been incredible we we've already talked for almost an hour here and, and i want to be respectful of your time i what i'd like to do is have you back on if that's okay with you and get into yeah, so many course, other man. things i mean that would be great you've been so patient with us and given us so many uh special takeaways but what i'd like to do before we get off here uh george i'd like to go over uh the speed round of questions which gets people to know you just a little bit if you have an answer sure. that's great if you don't that's great if you want to skip one that's fine too okay so i'm going sure. to run through these things and uh, just give me the best you got and the quickest answer possible, okay? Sure. Okay. Uh, mentor. Uh, I would say my mother. Love it, man. We have a lot in common. Uh, man, I can't follow too many. <laughs> I should have ended with that one. I usually do. I don't know why I wanted to do right, that one first. That's... Uh, unique habit that most people probably don't know about that you're okay with sharing. <laughs> a unique habit. Uh, surfing, it's it's you know sometimes people seem it's like you surf. <laughs> I did that so when I met you. You told me you surfed. I was yeah. like, really? I don't know why. Yeah. It just it just feels like it doesn't fit. But knowing you now, it does fit. Um, favorite athlete? Uh, Could be all Dr. time. Doctor J. Dr. J. J. From the University of Massachusetts. That is correct. Awesome, awesome. Favorite sports team? The Raiders. The Raiders. Um, okay. Favorite ritual, uh, like daily ritual other than surfing? Um, uh, I would say meditation. Love it. Uh, favorite food? Tacos. Tacos. You're like the surfing guy, man. It's crazy. <laughs> right? That's what people, when people actually know me, it's like, yeah, I get you. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Favorite movie of all time? Braveheart. Brave, great movie. Uh, last book read? Uh, the book that's my favorite book and i read it probably once a year sure man's search for meaning by victor frankel great book great book okay favorite type of music uh electronic nice and i would say i would like to say like favorite strength coach or strength conditioning professional that you really appreciate uh lauren landau great he's a great one now the last question is I'd like to say your favorite quote, but if there was one statement that you would like the world to hear over and over again, what would that statement be? People first. People first. Man, I really hope my team listens to this, man, because they're amazing and uh, you are as well. So I'd like to bring those worlds together. So thank you so very, very much. I really appreciate your time, George. Met the world. Anytime, Mark. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Absolutely. So have an amazing day, my friend. You too. Bye-bye.